It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Waldo, Waldman, Waldo, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Great to be here, Lady. It's actually a Lieutenant Colonel Waldo That's Waldman right. reporting for right. podcast duty, sir. And, and for those that aren't watching the video, he just saluted me very sharply, a sign of respect. So uh, I'm, I'm ready to be your wingman, Laban. Well, thanks, Waldo. And just something that came to mind, how many fingers am I supposed to hold together in the salute for the Navy? Or, or Air Force, which I am. But Sorry, it's all Air the Force. Same it's, all, all, it's all your fingers. It's like you're doing a karate chop. Finger has to be aligned, 90 degrees, 90 degree angle, et cetera, et cetera. And you're supposed to put it, put it along the right side of your eyebrow. And this is in the U.S. at least. You're not supposed to touch, but it's supposed to come very, very close. And uh, uh, those are all small little protocols, little nuances that that uh, during training and in real life, they they – they enforce because it's a sign of respect and attention to detail counts in life and in business, right? A hundred percent. And uh, I just wanted to start off with something profound, or I think it is at least. It's a yeah, it's a poem, and I, I hope that I don't get too emotional. But highway to the danger zone. I'll take you right into the danger zone. You'll never say hello to you until you get on the red line overload. You'll never know what you can do until you get up as high as you can go by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I got to ask it. <laughs> we could have at least incorporated some of the music. Into the <laughs> it would have been much more impactful. But So yeah. my first question, Waldo, what's your favorite movie, Hot Shots or Top Gun? Oh yeah, Top Gun is much much better. And I, Top Gun was good. The older I get, uh, it's more cheesier it is. And I, I I saw it when I was eighteen years old at the Air Force Academy. You know, my first foray into the military. A uh, couple thousand cadets at at uh, Arnold Hall were watching it and fired up. And you know, four years later, I was in the jet flying. So it was a really important, you know, instigator in my career and a motivator. But uh, but now looking back. It, it, it is definitely Hollywood, although the Top Gun 2 that's going to be coming out in the next six months to a year is going to be a, supposedly a lot more realistic. But um, uh, but it was it was a story of somebody who overcome adversity and odds and who had a passion and a drive and some headwinds along the way. But he had ultimate confidence. You know, he he understood that he had a dream and a, and a passion and he needed to train and fight and compete. And in the world today, you know, every superhero has a villain. And the older I get, the more I realize that the villain is normally the inside. You can deal with the outside ones. You can outwork them. You can outthink them. 
but the headwinds, the mental issues, the lacking confidence, the uh, negative self-talk, and you're familiar with all these things with your challenges that you've overcome, Laban. That is the biggest uh, impediment to being a superhero in your life and, and something that I, I work on every single day. Well, it's such a thrill, Waldo, to have you on the, on the show today because for me and for anyone that knows me closely enough, like to fly in a, in a jet fighter has been on my, my bucket list really ever since I can remember. And I thought the only way that I could do it was to go to the USSR or <laughs> Russia rather and uh, hire or you know jump in one of the MiGs that they have. But you've been flying a, a huge uh, range of, of aircraft in your wonderful decorated career. But I'd love to explore the F-16 just for a little bit for people that, that don't know about planes or don't know about uh, what it is that you do. And just to give people a little bit more context, Waldo's a Hall of Fame speaker, which last count, I think there might be just over a couple hundred people in the whole world um, that have been privileged enough to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you're a New York Times best-selling author with your extraordinary book, Never Fly Solo. And there might be some opportunities to get your hands on some of Waldo's material at the end of the podcast, so stick around for that. Uh, keynote speaker, executive coach, you're a father, you're a twin. What does your brother do for a job? Identical twin. He's in sales, commission only, uh, runs his own consulting firm. He's an outsourced sales rep for a big merger and acquisition company, and he has a team and makes his own way and digs his own well and and, and, and loves it. He, uh, he and I joust back and forth on the deals we close, and he also trained me a lot when I transitioned from the military. I got my MBA and went into sales, and Dave, uh, Dave helped me out tremendously. So uh, very similar, but we're also very different. So That's what's harder? What's harder, being shot at with a surface-to-air missile or being rejected from a sale? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I did had four missiles shot on me on one mission, and I must say uh, the missiles were a little more difficult. Although I get pissed off a lot when I lose a sale. And by the way, if you do, if you're in business and you listen to this, which I assume most people are, if you lose a sale and don't get ticked off, find another career. You should be upset. Uh, this is competition. You got to love the fight. And uh, in that that anger and resentment that we all have when we lose, uh, sometimes we deserve it. Some people who lose are aren't worthy of winning because they took the prospect for granted. They didn't prepare. They didn't put in the hard work. And so uh, honor your losses. But uh, if you felt that you really earned it, uh, you should you should get upset and then learn the lessons and, and then move on and get back in the cockpit and try to take out more targets. It's part, it's part of the journey that we have to enjoy. And, uh, the, the, you know, my combat missions and all the flights that I've been on, I never like getting my butt kicked from my teammates, right? Because it's all very competitive. You walk into a squadron, you want to be the winner. You want to be the top gun. But one thing that I always did was I befriended the best. My buddy, Rob Kosieska, there's a picture of him in my office. He's my best friend. He retired as a one-star general. And, uh, and uh, man, I always wanted to fly with him. And he kicked my butt all the time, but he spent so much time with me, coaching me how to get better. Uh, and, and that I love that. And I think it's important to spend time with people who are going to push you into that danger zone uh, and who who demand and command the best of you. Those are the type of wingmen in your life, those partners that you want both in the air and on the ground in your personal and professional life. 
There's something uh, I have a deep appreciation for the armed forces, the Navy, the Army, uh, and it's it's sort of developed over the last few years. Actually, it's sort of it's it's really interesting, Waldo, how as I've spent more time focusing on myself, getting myself in better shape, being more disciplined, I have a deep appreciation. So uh, I thank you for your service. Firstly, um, I actually tried to join the army in New Zealand where I grew up when I was uh, 17, but I'd just written off my father's car drunk and hit a parked car, had a carload full of mates. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but um, they I aced all the entrance exams. It was just to be a grunt. And um, but they said, look, we can't accept you because you've you know because of this this uh, thing. Can you reapply in six months? And and uh, and then I sort of found my way doing something else um, and never pursued it. But I wonder what what my life might have looked like had I ended up you know working my way up and and getting the discipline that I in hindsight I really needed. And I, I don't want. I suppose I want to know from you, Waldo, uh, what is it about discipline? that's so effective and so beneficial in our lives? I think discipline helps you differentiate. It helps you build confidence in yourself. One of the key things you needed to get into the academy, where I went to school four years, which is a 33% washout rate, one of the key attributes to get into pilot training where there was also a 33% washout rate and becoming a fighter pilot, which was 33%. One out of three failed. And you can understand how at the end of the day, when you, by the time you get into that, that F-16, the, the, uh, the standards are so high and the, and the crowd is very weaned out. You need that discipline and uh, discipline without commitment and the right disciplines is key. Many people are disciplined, but they really aren't disciplined on the right things. They're not doing the hard work. They're not really putting in the time necessary uh, in the right in the right areas to to fulfill their obligations and their their dreams. Right? You may have been disciplined, but maybe you were more disciplined in partying with your friends and having a good time, which isn't uh, a very uncommon thing for a young teenager or a young kid. But um, I like discipline because it's a metric between me and my competition, and it challenges me. I love challenge. It's why I flew this jet and I'm holding up a picture for the people that don't see. It's a single engine F-16, single seat, single engine. And there's two seat models with, a, with an instructor in it. But this bad boy requires an, an, an extreme amount of discipline. And why do you need discipline, Laban, do you think, to fly this thing? Why do you think you need it? Well, lack of discipline means you're probably dead, be my guess. Yes, yes. It's an easy, simple way to do it. And that's exactly my point. You don't have discipline, you're dead. You're dead in your career. You're dead in the aircraft. You're dead in your relationships, right? And so the standards of excellence that we push ourselves, those superhero standards, those top gun standards that differentiate you, you need discipline to attain them and you need hard work and effort. And so I like discipline. I like the challenge of accommodating a certain requirement and then measuring me against others. And when you measure against others, there's usually a reward. In sales, it's, it's winning the deal. Uh, it's becoming Hall of Fame speaker. It's being chosen over a competitor to give a keynote speech or be an executive coach. And it's also uh, the return on that investment and the return on discipline that you get 
when you look at the body, the weight that you've lost, something that you're familiar with, the, the muscles that you build, the relationships that you earn because of having the discipline with my wife to shut up when I, when I, when I know I shouldn't say anything. And I made the mistake yesterday, by the way, I didn't say anything, but I got pissed off about something and it wasn't, it was what I didn't say that was just as important. And as we all know, those of us who have significant relationships, discipline is key. So there's always a metric on the other side and you have to know what the result is that you're looking for. That is the key. What is the purpose behind the discipline, the purpose behind the commitment, the purpose behind the challenge, the blood and the sweat and sacrifice that we all need to make? And what happens when you lose sight of that goal, that compelling goal, your vision, your desire, your relationship, the sale, your dream of putting wings on your chest and becoming a fighter pilot or a top gun and whatever it is, you must understand that meaning to the mission and what I call the why before you fly. Then the discipline, the pain, the sweat, hey, it's just something that I need to do to get the prize. And so I would challenge the listeners to really think about as they're, as they're flying through life, dealing with headwinds and missile launches, uh, panic attacks that I could share a little bit with you later. The thing that'll keep you in the jet, that'll keep you disciplined, is having an unrelenting vision and compelling goal that keeps you aligned. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to be, you're going to be falling by the wayside and, and losing your wings and potentially getting shot down. That's a really beautiful uh, description, Mona, and thank you for sharing that. If I could share something with you that's been happening in my own life, and I, I'm keen just to seek your your guidance on this, if that's okay. I've made this decision and am and, and so blessed that I was – able to find out what my purpose on this planet is. And it took me until I was 39 years of age really to figure that out. And I've gone through this five-year transformation where the first three or so years were the mental, the health, that kind of thing. The last couple of years have been uh, channeling that uh, resilience and um, but particularly around finances and trying to find my way to try and balance everything to get to a point where I'm, you know, consistently bringing an income to support the family and doing all these things. Right. And when I was reading your your wonderful book, which I would highly recommend people get get down and read, uh, there was a quote there: "Beware of distraction disguised as opportunities." And I would love to know your thoughts on what that means to you. So that was a quote I actually heard from a good buddy of mine who mentored me when I first got into the speaking career. His name is Jim Ziegler. Uh, he's a certified speaking professional. He's in the uh, auto industry, car dealerships. Uh, he's probably in his late 60s, early 70s, just overcame cancer of his throat, by the way, uh, in the hospital. I thought he wasn't going to make it, but man, he came out and he's rocking and rolling. What an amazing man. Um, very cocky too, by the way, but he's earned that cockiness. He's earned that confidence, right? Because he's worked hard. So so he taught me that phrase and I use it in, in my life uh, and, I, and, I, and I share those concepts because there's many, so there's many times in life where you will have an opportunity and something will come to you that's a distraction that will take you off target. Here's an example, long story short, flying a mission, uh, uh, 
if your if your job to fly this jet, if me and you were going up on a mission in in, in Iraq, Laban, and by the way, I've flown many missions with my my uh, uh, my Australian F eighteen buddies, by the way, and and in, in Iraq and Kosovo, uh, a lot a lot of great a lot of great air air to air missions with them. Um, if we're flying and our job is to take out a bridge, that is a very strategic bridge that is a supply route for the enemy. And that's what we're briefed and we start going after it. And we see another target of opportunity that uh, along the way, some tanks, maybe a fuel depot, and we could just kind of roll in, take them out if we wanted to and continue to the target. Uh, that potentially could be a distraction disguised as an opportunity. We could take it out maybe uh, gain some cool points, impact the mission. But if we roll in and there's an enemy aircraft that tries to shoot us down or our bombs jam, or we we don't put enough ordnance on the bridge that we were supposed to take out, now we're not being effective on the primary target. You must be focused on the thing that's going to move the needle the most. And many times in our life during our day, we're going to have a distraction come in. The email that pops up that commands your attention that you think is more important or the phone call from your spouse asking A, B, and C or a buddy or saying, hey, hey, Laban, I got a question, man. I want to blah, blah, blah. What are you doing, man? Let, or let's go out and go drinking this weekend or whatever. And you know, deep down, man, shoot, man, I got to get in the books. I got to work on my health and fitness. I need to spend more time with my, my family and my kids. It's a distraction disguised as an opportunity to appease something that isn't as important as that's going to get you to your compelling goal, that, that why. So you have to have that self-discipline, the delayed gratification, the, the discipline not to go after the low-hanging fruit in your business, the easy sales as opposed to the long-term sale that could really move the needle in your business and improve your revenue. And often maybe put your jet in the hangar and even not fly. Here's what I mean by that. In this economy, in the world we're in today, we got, you know, we got to refuel and retool, right? We've got COVID, we've got economic uncertainty, we've got health issues, we've got a family running around upstairs if you have a family, uh, working from home, virtual selling, it's tough. And so if you have your jet, you know, you were a fighter pilot before flying your jet, your business uh, with your weapon systems, but you were flying at night, I'm sorry, in daytime conditions in Iraq. High altitude, 30,000 feet, dropping dumb bombs on bridges. But now you're flying at night in the weather over mountainous terrain at 550 knots uh, with a force ship of wingmen with new, new tools on your aircraft. And you've got to retool that aircraft and understand those new tools. You have to seek them out. You can see my even some of the stuff that I was talking about, my stream deck. You've got a great podcast studio. And so many times, instead of getting airborne and not being able to take out targets, you have to take your jet, your business, yourself, and retool it with new disciplines, new tactics, new weapon systems, new technologies, video, online learning, uh, virtual training, virtual selling, green smoothies, spiritual readings, things that will retool and refuel your airframe so that you can be more competitive when you get airborne. And so it's okay sometimes, Laban and listeners, to just say, I'm not flying today. I'm not going to get shot at or shot down, or I'm not going to take out those low-hanging targets. I want to re-equip and retool my airframe. 
my business and myself so that I could be more effective, have more horsepower. Isn't that why you lost the weight? Isn't that why you want to get into this new space, all the things that you overcame, Laban, right? And it didn't happen. You, you had to reject those distractions, get your ass in the hangar and work on yourself. And that's what I've done over the years. That's why I run a seven-figure business. That's why I've been fortunate to be as successful as I am. And I'll leave you with this and we'll, we'll continue all while knowing that another missile will come that I didn't anticipate. Maybe a different type of COVID-19, a health issue, a financial disruption, a personal thing. Uh, and, and realizing that we have to continuously earn our wings every day because you just never know what's going to bring. And it's an evolution. It's a journey. It's constantly reinforcing the principles of success, which means, hey, every successful person is going to get shot down eventually. And you just got to learn how to get back in the air. I, uh, I really love that, Walt. And, and you talk about it a lot in your book uh, about the ownership. Like, and you, were, you know, use specific examples of when you, when you mucked up. And, uh, and I really respect people that have the courage uh, and the dino balls, as I like to call it, to, uh, to take ownership and say, yeah, you know what, I mucked up. <laughs> One of the things that I, uh, I'd love for you to share if, if, if possible, while those, uh, we sort of glossed over it a little bit, but I'd love for you to share the story of you being shot at in the plane because I, right. I'm, it's, it's mind-blowing to me, and I know that other people will think that too. So go for it. Well, it's kind of a long story, but, you know, I was flying over, over the eastern portion or the western portion of Serbia and uh, monitoring uh, uh, Belgrade, and we were going for specific targets. And uh, essentially, two missiles got launched on my aircraft. Uh, uh, I did what's called a glib two maneuver. This 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 maneuver to to bleed the aircraft or bleed the missiles out of energy, and it involves turning into them and bringing your nose up and down. It's relatively unclassified in certain areas, but. Uh, but it's kind of the funky chicken, right? You're like, I messed up the whole procedure, right? I trained a thousand and one times when the proverbial poop hits the fan, you know, when the pressure's on, you're going to mess up a little bit, but I messed up a lot less than I did if I didn't have trained at all. Right. So, but anyway, the missiles exploded like a thousand feet from the aircraft, which are pretty close. Uh, they look like uh 4th of July fireworks. And then I rejoined with my flight lead as I'm rejoining with him, uh, another two missiles launched at me and they came even closer this time. The maneuver was a lot smoother, but uh, what it did, it really emphasized two things. Number one, there was another wingman involved who was calling out the missiles as well, building what I call situational awareness. Many times we don't know if missiles are being shot at us. We may not see, you know, the proverbial picture wall in the frame. And then the F-16, you can't see behind you. You're locked into this little cockpit. You don't know if you're leaking fuel on fire or if a missile's coming up behind you. But if you have a wingman or a wing ma'am, the wing ladies, right? If they call out break right or break left or missile at your six o'clock behind you, 12 o'clock's out front, you got to take action. And, and that's the key of not flying solo. Many times as you're going after targets or being shot at, you may not know that there's a threat coming. The weight, the relationships, the lack of sleep, the lack of disciplines that your friends, your wingmen, your trusted partners see, they will call out the missiles for you if they truly love you. 
uh, uh, tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And hopefully you'll take the action, get your ego out of the way and maneuver. And that's what I did in the aircraft. I had a great relationship. This is how we train in the Air Force. This is why mutual support, building the situational awareness, the 360 degree view that you need to win. But that's impossible if you're doing it on your own. And so the lesson from that was the mutual support, the preparation, the training, and then also uh, the fear. The fact that preparation helps you overcome fear. The fact that you need to be very, very present to dodge these missiles and be able to maneuver uh, when you know if you don't do it the correct way, you could die. And imagine everything in your life, the cold calls, the disciplines, the working out, the conversations you have with your spouse or your kids, literally it's life and death of that relationship, of your fitness, of your health, your future, your career, dependent on your ability to execute correctly. I guarantee you'll be a lot more focused. You'd be a lot more prepared. You'd read the books, attend the seminars, listening to these podcasts like you all are doing because you know you need an insight from Laban and myself or his other amazing guests that'll give you that small, subtle, yet impactful insight to say, what do I need to do better tomorrow? How do I retool a little better? How can I stop bullshitting myself and say, I got to get my aircraft in the, in the hangar and start working on myself and not giving myself excuses. That's what a Top Gun does. It's not about winning and being the best. It's more about doing your best every day, acknowledging your weaknesses, seeking others to help you, and ultimately putting in the hard work. That is key in anything where you want to be a Top Gun in life. Walter, do you remember what you said or what went through your mind the moment you realized these missiles were on your tail? Uh, I, I defended. I defended. Yeah, I called out the missiles in the air. Uh, SCAR, I can't remember my call sign, but SCAR 2, breaking right, missiles in the air, right, my right, 3 o'clock. And then is, he's talking about that I didn't sound cool on the radios. Is that what you're getting at? No, no. I was just thinking I would have been saying, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, what you're supposed to say, you know, call out the missiles so you're building situational awareness that could that others can help you out. So I said, wingman is, you know, breaking right, turning right into the missiles, my uh, threat missiles right, three o'clock low. So so my wingman who knew where I was at would build situational awareness on where they were and, and can seek them out. So I'm sharing with the rest of the formation where the threat was. And a lot of times, hey, that's a really good point, actually, you brought up. In the fact that you may be having some missiles launched on you that are impacting you, that are impending failures, lessons learned, mishaps, mis, um, mishaps, mess ups, battle damage, failures. And if you can share those failures, those missiles as they're being shot at you or where you mess up with your team, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your peers, say, guys, gals, I screwed this up. I, I said the wrong thing. I, I, I drank too much. I, I didn't do the disciplines. I failed in safety and accountability. And these are what the consequences. I got shot down. I lost a wing. I got a divorce. I lost a sale. My business is under. Or I lost the weight, gained the relationship, uh, seeked out uh, 
teammates who are giving me advice, et cetera. So essentially share your victories and, and your defeats, your mishaps. And, 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 and if you love other people, I think more today than ever, I think you'd agree with me that taking off your mask and sharing your vulnerabilities, you, you, you know, you mentioned I'm in my book, I talk about most of my mess ups, the things that I screwed up with my relationships in my, in the air force and in my life, that's where the lessons come. And the book is a, is a, is a flight plan for others not to make those same mistakes, but also to acknowledge the fact that, Hey, we're going to make those mistakes. You're going to get shot at. You're going to hit the wrong pickle button take out the wrong target, do a, a bad maneuver that's going to impact you and your family, but get yourself back in the jet after you learn the lessons, put in the hard work. And uh, I think we should share our mishaps with each other more. And, uh, you know, so, so that the people that we care about and work with and love won't make them themselves. And if you're a parent listening to this or have a best friend that you really love, you should share with him or her all these things and and be willing to cut a vein and show some blood, uh, which really reinforces your humanity, which we need more than ever of, uh, in life, especially the way things are today. It's so true, Waldo. And I, one of the, the superpowers that I've discovered that I have, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, is this um, ability to allow people uh, to be comfortable enough to share with me, in, in a lot of cases, things that they've never told anyone uh, secrets, stories, um, you know, in some cases abuse. And it, it's not that I'm a shoulder to cry on. That's not the case at all. In fact, I wouldn't say that's me at all. But I'm very – I've become super comfortable in sharing my own demons. And it's it's a it's a really amazing strategy. It's not, well, strategy seems like it's calculated, but for allowing you to build much stronger connections with people and – uh, for that, I'm I'm really grateful. It's uh, and I'm doing a presentation for one of my for a corporate client tomorrow, actually. And I was sort of racking my brains. I don't have a lot of experience um, presenting in the space. It'll be a mixture of in person and virtual at the same time. So there's challenges there. I don't really use slides at all, um, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to use storytelling of my own journey and the power of vulnerability and use some real life examples of some amazing things that have happened in my life as a result of bearing my soul to the world. Right. Um, and the more I share, Walter, I'm not sure what you think about this, the more confident and, and the more fearless I become. What do you reckon? I think it's great. I think, I think the humanity, like I said, cutting a vein and showing your humanity, you know, most people are struggling. I don't care if you're a quote unquote successful, super wealthy person. We all have issues that we're insecure. I think most, most of the most fearful insecure people are the ones who have a lot, have a lot of, material things, maybe money and quote unquote success, but they lack something in their life. There's a gap. There's a emptiness that prevents them from waking up with joy and bliss every day. And I think it's something that I'm always working on. Uh, you know, I, I think for a long time, I, I grew up in a very abusive household. I was literally talking about this to my buddy, uh, Rene Godefroy. He's a, a Haitian immigrant who became a speaker. Just this weekend, we were talking about this vulnerability piece, Maven. And I share with him how, uh, uh, you know, my parents are 91 and 86. They're, they're both alive. And I hope they live another week or another 10 years, God willing. But great people. But very, I grew up in a very abusive relationship. I used to walk to school with bruises on my body. My parents are old school, you know. 
hit and they argued and there was a lot of abuse in my family. And it humbled me a lot. It made me more appreciative of nature, it made me realize the importance of relationships with my sister who and twin brother, right? Who who coached and mentored. We had a shoulder to cry on. Many people don't have that shoulder to cry on. Some folks who are going through abuse don't have a wingman or a wingmam in their life, a brother or sister, a best friend who can console them in these t- tough times. And um, I think it builds the confidence because you realize that the world isn't going to end, number one, that those fears and vulnerabilities and emotional scars are truly scars of character and growth and empathy and compassion and fortitude. They kicked your ass to get better. They made you realize how it feels to be alone and broken and to be at that position in time in your life where you truly, you know, create that bruise, that, 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 that flashpoint, that, that spark, the solder point where yes, there's heat and pain there, but it sticks and, and, and makes things memorable. And it's useless unless you put it to use. It's useless unless you acknowledge the lessons from it and then help other people through their fears and challenges. Provided that, provided that, here's the key, that you're not using that story as a crutch, as an excuse to outsource your accountability, right? Many people say, well, I was abused or I had this or I went through a divorce or I got cancer or I had a panic attack and almost died scuba diving and became claustrophobic and that's why I'm going to quit flying and which has happened to me. I I almost died in a scuba diving act uh, accident and became claustrophobic, but I didn't quit on my mission. But it sucked. I was miserable. And I learned a lot about teamwork, about resilience and the growth and confidence that happens on the opposite side of that fear and pain. So you have to build that confidence. And you're confident now, Laban, because you have went through the superpower, superhero journey. Folks like me have have gone through the hard work. I've been through Gestalt therapy. I went through men's and women's courses. I went through assessments and painful, long, tedious work to create the person that you're seeing on this camera and you're listening to. So if you're not going to do the work and you're just going to make excuses and use that as a crutch for your failures and lack of accountabilities or miserable self-talk or avoidance of relationships or acceptance of mediocrity in your life, because, well... That's just the way it is. And that's how you program. That's a hard journey. And we have to work on that, seek help, realize those, those, there's lessons built into those, those failures and uh, that we are meant to grow. We're meant to fly, not to stay in the hangar of fear and doubt, but to be airborne, possibly getting shot at, but in the process, kicking some serious ass, taking out targets and, being exhilarated and living that challenging life that I talked about in the beginning, which is really what I love about life and my business and meeting people like you, you pushed me and challenged me to be better than I was yesterday. And uh, that's what it's all about. I think. It's uh, it's so fascinating. Waldo uh, in the work that I've done uh, learning about dysfunction or abuse growing up and, and that can take, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, sexual, abandonment. If you've got an alcoholic parent or, you know, drug-affected um, sure. uncle or auntie or whatever, like, um, or a major traumatic event, uh, there seems to be, interestingly, a direct correlation with an increase of things like panic attacks and uh, 
claustrophobia and, and some of those, you know, agoraphobia and that, you know, fear of being outside, that type of thing. And it'd be interesting to know whether you've done any work or you've figured out that there might have been an indirect or direct link to what you experienced that maybe triggered the claustrophobia or the panic attacks. Uh, I don't know. Have you done any digging on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. A uh, lot, lot of self-reflection and hard work. Um, as a matter of fact, this 24-year-old kid contacted me. I, I, he read my story. Uh, I, I did it. There was a video on CNN. And then also, if you go, there's a Goalcast video, 50-minute video where I share a little bit about my journey of overcoming claustrophobia. I asked him, he, he, people, I, I've coached folks who have gone through these anxieties. I think it's a gift of mine. Uh, and I find that I, I enjoy helping people build the courage to, to face their fears. I call myself a courage monger, not a fear monger. There's enough of those in the world. I'm a courage monger, which means I will hug you, but I'll also kick you in the butt, right? I think people also need to be pushed and kicked a little bit with a loving boot, you know, rubber, nice soft boot, but pushed and said, you're, you're, selling yourself short, you're playing it safe, you know, let's do it, right? Let's push it up, which is a chapter in my book. Let's fully commit. And so I was asking him about his family. Long story short, he, he basically, uh, he was flying, went through lessons and he suddenly started having panic attacks and uh, he couldn't do it anymore. And it was a year or two since he last flew and he wanted to get back in the plane. And you heard about my claustrophobia and dealing with anxiety and how I was able to stay in the plane. He's like, how do I get back in? So long story getting longer, uh, I, uh, I asked him about his family. And sure enough, his dad, type A, aggressive, physically abusive, very impatient. Uh, whenever he messed up, he would be demeaned and, and ridiculed. Not, my dad didn't really do that too much to me as far as that, but I was, it was always never good enough, right? You know, he had an A minus. Why wasn't it an A? If you had a B plus, it should have been an A. You know, if you scored one goal, why didn't you score two? It was kind of like that, you know, typical Jewish family, right? Always, always demanding more and more. But it was a good thing in a lot of ways because it pushed me. But I couldn't accept, I couldn't be present enough and just accept the joy of the win. So it was always about the next level, the next level, instead of savoring the flavor of the victory. Because I felt that it wasn't good enough. And I think this kid had the same thing. And he reflected on his experience in messing up and the abuse and the anxiety and fear that he would experience from his dad when he messed up. And he'd bring that into the cockpit. And if he wasn't doing everything right, or he'd start second guessing himself, or what if I get into the weather? What if I lose this engine? And he'd start going through these what if scenarios and he'd start freaking out because he had to be perfect. And he had to be in full control. And so I reflected that more about with me and the fact that I reflected on the anxiety and the pain of not being perfect and going through some of that abuse as a child. Uh, and also that physiological feeling of just a few days before my first panic attack on the plane, almost diving, dying scuba diving, that panic attack the loss of control, the fact that I thought I was going to die, that I, I was freaking out under the water. Uh, I translated that. I basically had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but it didn't happen in combat. It happened 35 feet under the water in the Caribbean, scuba diving. I transferred that in the jet. And as soon as the mask and being in this closed space, it kind of 
triggered that same feeling of being underwater. I was in full control. I'm in the plane. Oxygen was good. I could move around. There was nothing happening. But now I'm locked in and I can't have full control. I just can't jump out. I just can't take the mask off and do what I wanted. And so when I lost that control, I realized that's where the anxiety came from. So I had to get used to, this is the kicker, folks, get used to flying in that uncomfortable position of being in this tiny space for six hours at a time in a tiny cockpit, barely able to move at night, 35,000 freaking feet. Think about that. It took everything in me to just say, to not just explode out of my head. It was the, the, the top gun of fear for a claustrophobic. Hey, you're claustrophobic. Uh, where are you going to put you in a plane, pop you up at 35,000 feet at night in the weather where you can't see the sun, you can't see the ground, can't see the stars, and you're going to possibly be shot at as well. You've got six hours. Canopy is coming down. It is locking now. So... I got used to being in that quote unquote danger zone. Your key to resilience for those that are listening, it's not just your ability to bounce back, your ability to call a friend, to, to have that conversation that fills you up with encouragement, to smell a flower, to pet your cat, to get a good workout in and deal with your stress. It's about you, ma'am or sir, and you, Laban, to say, I'm going to put myself in a precarious situation and I'm going to get used to that pain and fear and that claustrophobic slash anxiety feeling that may come up and I'm going to fly through it and I'm going to hit the targets. I'm going to support my team just like I did. I got so maniacally focused on serving and staying present that I became instructor pilot of the year out of 300 pilots flight lead of the quarter out of a hundred pilots in my squadron voted best in the best. No one knew I had claustrophobia, just like no one knows that you may have your issues. So get used to the pain, get used to flying through. You work out too, Laban, right? For those that work out, you know, when you're on that treadmill or you're running or you're lifting a weight and you're like, I just got to quit. And you get used to that heart pounding and, the, and you just want to stop and you just stick it there. Just go another 30 seconds. You get used to that pain and it goes 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes and suddenly you're running a marathon and it's because you're used to the pain. That's what resilience is about. Make the choice to fly, even though you know you may get shot at or have that panic attack and you'll build that resilience and example and confidence that's aligned with courage that'll increase your chances of kicking ass when the missiles come. It's pretty damn cool, well, though. <laughs> it's deep shit, man. I, 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 this is this is deep thinking. I can only I can only got this by like really thinking about my fears and pondering them and going deep inside. No one explained this to me. This is raw shit. This isn't fear from oh I was a, I was afraid of dropping out or I was afraid of failure and this and, and and I was rejected because I was gay or straight or I'm a woman or or I'm white male not getting we all have our fears and they're they're normal to have that. I'm talking real hardcore shit in your pants fear that I had to fly through. And that experience, that rawness, I think, gives me the capability and confidence because I have the scars. And uh, 
it's a very, very pensive, uh, uh, difficult journey to come up with uh, uh, this information. And it, uh, and I think that's part of the journey of life as we mature and get older and experience things. So it's uh, it's the timing of this is really fascinating because I um, through a friend of mine, he's opening up a wellness center to help uh, people that are recovering from motor neuron and cancer. And there was a hyperbaric chamber that I needed to test out for him. And so I jumped in there and and it's a little bit bigger than a cockpit. Like you've got a bit more room to move your legs, oh, but yeah. it, it wouldn't be that much bigger. And and I was sitting up, so it's pro- pro- probably a very similar position. Took me to 1.3 atmospheres. And I got to admit, like I felt a little bit funny. And this isn't someone who typically experiences uh, panic attacks or claustrophobia. I've never really experienced uh, panic attacks that I'm aware of. Um, or even claustrophobia, but I, I felt a little bit claustrophobic. But I was in there for an hour, and it was the first time I've been in one of these things in my life. I'm very fit. I've got a good VO2 max. I follow a ketogenic lifestyle. Blood flow is really good. And towards the last 10 minutes of the decompression part of the chamber experience, I, I really felt like I was going to have a panic attack. And I was just curious to know from a – a, a physical or a chemistry point of view, what's going on there? Do you have any idea, Waldo? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, when you have the panic attack, your, your pulse races, you start breathing faster and more shallow. Uh, you, you Your body gets flushed. You get even a little bit dizzy. And what happens, it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It kind of like snowballs into one thing because then you get into your head get into your head and you start thinking about your heart and your, your breathing and suddenly it starts going faster, faster, faster. Um, I'm not an expert on the physiological components of that and why it does that. But I, I do know that what you focus on kind of tends to get exasperated. But I do know that once you distract yourself from yourself is when you can overcome the fear and anxiety. So do you have children, Laban? Yeah, not yet, Waldo. I'm working on it. You just engaged with the the, the, you were sober and met the girl in Melbourne. Yes, I remember the story. The beautiful Anna made it over. Yeah. Now, now you love her more than anything other than your family, I assume, right? And whatever, right? Oh, she's. uh, You'd love her too, Waldo, if you met her. (laughs) Inside and out, beautiful. That's that's great, and I know what that's like because I have a beautiful wingmate who's a compassionate, loving person, and, and from the inside out. But if you, uh, by the way, I'm afraid of heights too, right? And I, I don't know if you're afraid of heights, but I'm pretty afraid of heights. <laughs> Are you afraid of heights? I don't know. If you I are. live on the 38th story bit. of an apartment complex, and I can look over the balcony without getting wobbly knees, so I'm probably okay. I've bungee yeah. jumped, I've skydived, so I can't be that fearful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't bungee jumped nor skydived yet. And I, that's probably something I need to do to really deal with my fear. I'll but do one with you if it helps. The, the point is, yeah, who knows? We can do it in Australia. Maybe go off a of Bondi beach and get attacked by a shark, or <laughs> fight, fight with the sharks. So, uh, which is where, oh, I have a scar right here, by the way. You see this scar? This little, hold on. He's just showing us his, uh, his right arm here. His yeah, my right arm. I got a scar on my wrist, and it's a vertical scar along my hand here. You can see it right there. Anyway, I can't. It's chunky. It's chunky. Anyway, but, uh, I was I was uh, I was uh, south of uh, I was Bondi Beach, but I was up more out, out of uh, Noosa Head area, 
if you know where Nisa is, beautiful. And well, I went. We're moving there. I, we're moving there. Yeah. It's, that's my favorite city in the world. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. Oh my god, that's awesome, dude. And so I I, I went uh, surfing for the first time. Fell off the surfboard, and the surfboard sliced my my wrist. Uh, and and I stayed in the salt water, and it caused this little scar there. So that's my Australian uh, story. But um, what the heck were we saying about the uh, what was the uh, thing that we were talking about before I got? Oh oh, so if you are afraid of heights, if there's somebody on here that's afraid of heights, I had to jump off a 33 foot high diving board to graduate the Air Force Academy and become a pilot. You don't it's ten meters you in don't the uh, uh, ten meters, 10 meters over here. right? Yeah, ten meter board, 33 feet. I jumped last of my class to do it uh, because I wasn't going to let 33 feet stand between me and living my dreams. I, that that kind of helped me overcome my fear of claustrophobia because I knew in order to earn the right to talk to my kid and be the example of leadership and, and be that courageous leader, I had to go through that crucible. But distracting myself to my wingmen, my teammates who needed me when I was flying in combat, if I was focused on myself, I would get panicky. But when I focused on them, the target, the threat, how do I protect them? You know, it distracted me from myself and I became more present. And it was a gift to me to serve because I treated them like my brothers and sisters, my loved ones. And when you love your child, your wife, your spouse, your partner, anybody, and you're on an edge of a diving board and you're freaking out, Looking down, let's say it's 100 feet and you, or 75 feet, which you can still live. But if you're, if you're afraid of jumping, and you're probably not going to jump if you're totally panicked. But if your loved one, your child, your wife, your fiance, Laban, is saying, Laban, help me, help me, help me. Or if somebody says, Mommy, please help me jump, jump. You're going to jump in a heartbeat, right, bro? Yeah, bro. For the parents <laughs> that are listening, you're going to jump to save your child because your passion and your love is greater than your fear. And so you need to, in your journey of life and finding meaning in your mission and what's going to get you in the cockpit, what's going to get you to build the resilience and be the superhero. And superheroes are normally superheroes because they're saving others. They're they're superheroes for others, not just for themselves. Everyone from Superman, Spider-Man, they're saving the day. They're jumping off of diving boards because they see you. They're jumping into claustrophobic situations and flying in jets because of you and serving. And that's why I believe love is a byproduct of service. And service is a byproduct of love. And love is service in action. You got to dig deep and say, what is it? And this goes back to the square one we talked about, the why before you fly, the meaning to your mission. When you can tap in, the purpose of why you're going through the shitstorm that you may be going through right now, the challenge, the COVID-19 missiles, the working from home, the panic attacks as you're wondering about the future, your health, your fear missiles, your ability to lose the weight, have the relationship, ask for the sale, deal with whatever health issue you may have in your life, whatever it is. You stay in that plane because you have meaning behind it. You're going to share that story and you're going to help out someone else. You're going to be jumping off those diving boards and flying those jets because somebody needs you. And last and not least, it's your responsibility to do it as well. 
If you're losing your passion and you're not having the motivation or the inspiration to jump off that diving board, oh, I don't feel like it today. Oh, you know, parents who change diapers, they don't tell the two-year-old or one-year-old, the newborn, oh, I'm losing the passion today. Change your own diaper. Here's the baby food. Feed yourself. Because I know my wife was losing passion when she was helping to raise our little boy. I know I'm losing the passion when I have to jump on planes, you know, before and get into this office and do this virtual stuff. It's not all about your freaking passion and how good you freaking feel. Tough shit. Life is going to suck. That's where it's tested. That's where your leadership and resilience and courage is tested. Not when the weather is perfect. It's at night in the weather over mountainous terrain. And so this is your calling, your compelling goal. It's your responsibility because you chose to put wings on your chest. You chose this profession, Laban. You have an amazing story and experience of people that are listening, your experiences. You may not be a fighter pilot or whatever, but you have something in your life that you've experienced and, and a goal and people that need you to succeed. You don't need a story or a climb Mount Everest to fly a jet. You have something worthy. You just got to figure out why it is that you fly, create that compelling goal. And if you don't have one, find one. Because life is about service and truly contributing to others' success. That's the gift, of my opinion, of being a parent. That was the gift of being a fighter pilot with my men and women, my wingmen. And that's the, the meaning that drives me every day to do these crazy interviews at 5.30 on, an, on, a, on a Tuesday night with somebody who I'd never met before. <laughs> of which we are super duper grateful. Well, they, you are looking to have a giveaway to one of our lucky audience members. Are you still happy yeah. to do that? Yeah, yeah. So this is for everybody. Actually, anybody listening. Um, you know, I, I have a, I, my book, Never Fly Solo, was a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. I think you can send the link out for them, right? Do you want? I believe you can. Yeah, but, it'll be posted give, in the YouTube or in the podcast links below. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you want, I'm going to put on the video here. I've got a five-video series called Mission Ready. Uh, and the three to five minute videos, you'll get an email sent to you. But if you go to yourwingman.com forward slash MR, like mission ready, lowercase, please, yourwingman.com forward slash MR. And I'll put in your name and email address. You'll, you'll be, get sent those uh, uh, five videos and you can uh, stay in touch with me that way and, and all that good stuff. Uh, and if you want to go deeper with the video series, you can sign up for more after that or reach out to me. Uh, and then my book, Never Fly Solo, if you want to get a copy of the book, uh, it's 20 bucks on Audible. But if you want to get it free by listening to Laban's podcast, if you go to yourwingman.com forward slash NFS, like Never Fly Solo, you can get the podcast there. And for those that see it, there's a QR code. If you put your camera, open it up, you'll get linked to me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I do most of my networking and, and content is on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me at Waldo Waldman, at Waldo Waldman, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and all that good stuff. So those are the goodies. Those are the, the takeaways. Hope, hopefully folks will take advantage of that and uh, take action because you could sit here and pardon my expression, mentally masturbate and listen to these things, or you can take action and say, what are the action items I'm going to take based on this podcast, based on the investment that you placed into hanging out today? Uh, that's uh, it's all about the steps that you're going to take, and that's how you're going to refine your flight plan to reach new heights. Absolutely brilliant. 
Well, do you have any concluding thoughts before we wrap this bad boy um, up? No, but, you know, the, the key at the end of the day, uh, you may be courageous, you may be prepared, you may have a great team, but truly when the missiles come and you're overwhelmed and you're not sure you can make it, my, my advice to you is be vulnerable and courageous enough to say the three most important words there are in life, which are, I need help. Mayday, mayday. That, my friends, is the wingman or wingman's call to action. You're going to have issues in your life that you can't solve on your own. You think you were prepared and suddenly something's going to come. And my confidence doesn't just come from my abilities and my experiences. It's the fact that I can pick up the phone, call out people like you now, Laban, and ask for help. And the way you build up that list of wingmen is by giving your wings away, by being that resource, that asset, that comrade of courage and inspiration that other people need. And when you're in the dungeon of, of life and you're exhausted and fearful and paralyzed, first step should be help somebody else out and it'll get you out of your head, get you in service mode and you'll be more present and more fulfilled in life. And that's truly where joy comes. And that's where I think I'm at right now. I get a lot of joy in areas that I didn't never got before with, with COVID-19. And that's the gift of all of us right now, that journey and the pain that we're going through makes us more appreciative of the kind, uh, the kind friends that we have. Ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman, everybody. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.